Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. This is episode one of Bike Tour Adventures with the Cycling 2. In this episode, I talk to Adam and Lucia about their multi-year touring adventure as they make their way back to Yorkshire, England. I first met them when I was cycling the Mae Hong San Loop in northern Thailand in November 2018. While I cycled up the equivalent of one and a half times Mount Everest with a folding bike and about five kilograms of equipment, these guys did it with full-size touring bikes and lots of luggage. I was utterly fascinated by their positive outlook on life, epic videos, and grand plans. When I decided to create this podcast, Adam and Lucia were the first people I asked to be my guests. In today's episode, we're going to talk about cultural differences while traveling, dealing with homesickness, planning a bike tour, and the usual reasons not to travel. Adam, Lucia, welcome to the show. Hello there. Hi. So we've known each other not long, but... It feels like a long time. It does feel like it, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. We, uh, yeah, we met, it was in November? Yeah. Yeah, in Pi. That's right, yeah, through Big Simon. Yeah, big sigh. He'd like the fact he's just got a mention in the podcast. <laughs> He'll be really happy with that. Yeah, so uh, we were going around the Mayon Son, not the Mayon Son loop the wrong way almost. We'd just been cycling around the Myanmar Thai border and got to Pai, and then you'd been smashing up hills the last last day. Yeah, so we, we met there, and then we met again in Chiang Mai about eight days later, something like that. Yeah. It took us that amount of time to get from Pai. (laughs) You you smashed it out. Now you guys are coming through Cambodia. and I just took a job here for seven months, so here I am, and now you are too. Yeah, it's a great coincidence. We're really happy when we knew that you were in Phnom Penh, and then we knew we were going to be coming into the country, so it just made sense to come and visit you, and really excited to be here. Yeah, it's really great. I'm happy you guys are here. So how long has it been since you started your trip? So we started on September the 9th, 2018. Uh, It's now real-time March, is it? End of of March. (laughs) End of March, I figure. Yeah, so uh, we've been going for six months. Six months. How many kilometers have you cycled? Is there a known figure? It's in the 7,000s, isn't it? So there's different numbers. Like on this journey, since September, we've cycled 7,990 kilometers. So nearly 5,000 miles, just under 5,000 miles. You guys, I asked you to go riding yesterday and you could have hit those 10K off. (laughs) (laughs) You'd have been like 8,000. Yeah, Yeah, the numbers don't mean too much, really. It's nice to look back at a map and see them, but uh, yeah, we do quite short days. So the numbers aren't really the driving force for us. Fair enough. Can you give us an overview of the trip so far? Yeah, sure. So we flew from the UK to Singapore and we cycled out of Singapore all the way up through Malaysia, Thailand, headed straight north up to Chiang Mai and Pai, which is where we met you. And then we cycled east into Laos. And then when we were in Laos, we were originally going to go into Vietnam, but we had a last minute decision and decided to head north into China. We spent two months cycling across China And then we made a decision to come back into Southeast Asia through Vietnam, back into Laos, all the way south. And now we're in Cambodia, heading towards Bangkok. Fantastic. It really is inspiring. Like I've always worked abroad 15 years. I always feel that desire to just drop everything and do a trip. But I've always had lots of financial things that are... (laughs) Lots of financial reasons not to, but maybe through this conversation, I'll figure out some new things about myself. 
Can you say what was one of the most shocking things you've experienced since leaving the UK? If if you could label it as one or two things. So shocking things. Usually the biggest standout things are cultural differences. I think for us starting in Southeast Asia means that we didn't have the, a lot of people start in their hometown and then they gradually get different cultures as it, as they move. So uh, for us starting in Singapore and then slowly seeing different cultures uh, the things people eat was a really big one particularly say when we're on the Myanmar border seeing people eat insects as staple diet part of their meals really? uh, in China we we were really unfortunate to witness a dog alive get thrown onto a, a burning fire which culturally is something that we know happens in some areas of China we uh we were probably quite naive and wasn't quite prepared for it. We knew it happened, but we wasn't really ready to see something on that scale. Uh, so that was quite upsetting for us both. But with time and looking back in retrospect, you realise this is the way people live their lives. And we are just passers-by. We are just seeing a snapshot into other people's lives. And we're fortunate to see that. So the shocking things really is them cultural differences that on borders and geographical mountains, you can cross over one mountain pass and suddenly people are eating different things, speaking in different ways, and uh, you just people wear different things and behave in different ways. The driving in Vietnam was another crazy thing. Yeah. So crossing into Vietnam, we saw a road accident, which wasn't very nice to see, but obviously this happened all over the yeah. world. Was it a fatal one or is it? I don't think so. I think it was a, it was a woman on a scooter that got hit by a one of these small buses, like minibus. She wasn't there at the time. I think she'd been taken away from medical care, but I wasn't surprised to see it just because of the standard of driving is crazy. But you realise how vulnerable you are as a cyclist on the road in some countries, in some places. Uh, so th- I think they're the things for me that stand out. And Lucia did mention it yesterday about how insane the driving is here in Cambodia, where Vietnam always felt like it's an organised chaos. And then here it's even less so. They just kind of go and whoever's first yeah, wins the race. there's no order or, like you say, in Vietnam, it's a bit more like orderly chaos in some places. But yeah, here, everyone, there's no lanes. Everyone in some, you know, areas in the city, everyone just goes and winding and overtaking each other. And it, it can be quite scary, but actually over the months that we've been cycling bit by bit, I've grown in confidence, especially cycling in cities. So when we arrived into Phnom Penh and it was dark, I didn't feel nervous or scared. I just went with the flow of the traffic and yeah, it was, it was a good experience. It's just another day on the bike. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I guess like you said about the cultural differences and, and experiencing that dog being burned alive in china yeah that was um, so really big for both of us it was a big like we were like so i like, almost a bit shell-shocked almost and a bit in shock of what we saw you you were visibly upset and yeah. uh, at the time we just didn't really we just thought it was this mindless cruelty uh, but the people doing it were really friendly to yeah. us they yeah. were inviting us for food they were to them they were proud of what they were doing and it's that realization that people do live different cultural norms and it's not for us as travelers. And I think this is the bigger lesson, but we've discovered it's not for us as travelers to impose our ideals onto anybody. It's like we are absolutely guests and visitors. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, for us, it can be shocking to us and we just have to, it's the, kind of the beauty of traveling by bicycle is you see these things that most people don't normally see, which it, it can be really rewarding and it can also uh, change your views of the world. In bigger ways. I could say two things on that. First of all, if you didn't want the cultural experiences, you could have just spent the next two years cycling in circles around the UK. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. happy days. Um, secondly, having lived in Korea and in another country where they commonly eat dog the way they kill the dogs because they beat them to death. Mm. And they believe that it releases um, hormones and testosterone or um, the fight or flight syndrome. You know, you're... Um, it jumps through the roof, spikes through the roof before they die, and therefore it's much better for man, oh, virility. Yeah, I think that was what was the most shocking about the incident we saw in China. We expected to see dog being sold to eat. That wasn't a surprise. But it was the fact that we noticed that the dog was lying on the floor and it was alive. We could see it breathing. And then all of a sudden it was on the fire 
and was dying. And that was the most horrific thing in terms of the cruelty we saw. I, in my opinion, I think it's it's a cruel way to kill an animal to eat it. Um, so that for me was the shocking part. But mm-hmm. as Adam says, every culture is different and yeah. it's I think moving just observing it. The difference there is that as you're traveling by bicycle, you're, you're traveling in a green, very econ- like, so environmentally friendly way of traveling. And when you go to somewhere like China and you're realizing the amount of plastic they're using, it's such a vast scale. Like you buy a pack of biscuits and each individual biscuit will be individually wrapped in plastic. Oh, wow. You'll buy a, a, some food, you buy some noodles and the chopsticks will obviously become in plastic, but the bowl will be almost vacuum sealed in plastic as well. It's catered bowls, yeah. Yeah. Companies that- so you're seeing like you try not to use plastic or you're trying to travel in an environmentally friendly way, but... In place like China, you just order a bowl of noodles in a restaurant, and you're gonna you're gonna use like single use plastic all the time. Do you think for those environmental like activistic people who want to travel by bike, is it possible to go through China and not feel like you've just betrayed all your? I don't think it's impossible, but I yeah. think it would be very hard. You would have to shop at markets, which markets the vegetables and fruit all on open display. Uh, it's very easy to buy uh, without buying plastic. You'd be buying your own rice from big sacks. So you could do that if you want to eat the local food and try what local people eat, which is for us a big part of the experience. It'd be very difficult, but not impossible, but very difficult. All right, let's get back to... Uh, we didn't plan to talk solely about traveling in China, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Has there been many changes to the trip plans as... Uh, a million. <laughs> so when we first decided to start the cycle tour, we had our idea of the route, which is kind of the route that we're on now. And then just as months go by, we would change our minds and decide well, to go for a, a long time. Way. It was we're going to cycle from Singapore to the UK. Mm. That was our plan. That yeah. was it. Huh? That was the aim, and a few things changed the plan. Yeah. So I had an accident in China talking about China again but it's just where it happened mm-hmm. I fell off my bike as we were cycling downhill and really injured my knee and was in quite a bad way for a couple of weeks I couldn't cycle and then something changed in the dynamic and of the cycle tour and we decided to head east instead of north and decided to cycle through Japan and South Korea before traveling round to Alaska and to go through Alaska, Canada and um, the US. So yeah, the the route changes quite frequently in terms of where we want to go because we're human and one day we feel one way and the next day you change your mind slightly. And that's what I love about bicycle touring is you can be really flexible. You don't have to be dead set on a certain direction because it's up to you. You're on a bicycle and you Absolutely. pedal the way you want to go. So Now it's fairly static though. You have a couple of flights booked. Yeah. So we took away the uncertainty by um, booking some flights. So we have that set now, which is nice in a way because it gives you a bit more focus. So we've got to get here for a certain date and then we're traveling through South Korea and Japan before our flight to Alaska, which is booked. So it gives us a bit of structure and stability within, but still being flexible in terms of the route we choose through each country. Oh, it's amazing. I was just telling them if I move back to Canada in the summer and I end up in Calgary, maybe they'll be visiting me in Calgary. Yeah, again. probably so, will. Four, yeah. four different places in nine months or a year. Yeah. Because we make videos for YouTube uh, of our travels, it often confuses a lot of people because we'll be changing our minds almost too frequently. Of all the cycle tourists we know, we're probably the, the ones that change our minds the most. So, uh, yeah, for us, it's, it's part of the beauty of it is the freedom that we can do what we want. And being able to do that like with, with no oversight and nobody making our decisions, just us. Sometimes it's difficult because you have too much choice. And somebody commented on one of our videos the other day, that when we decided to change our route from going all the way through China for, we were planning to be there for four or five months, we decided to come back to Vietnam. And he said, oh, when I'm at home, my biggest decision in the UK is whether I go to Tesco or Asda, which are two big supermarkets, 
you're deciding to go to China or Vietnam. <laughs> so we sometimes forget actually how lucky we are that yeah. we can make these decisions. It's like lunch choices. Yeah. Should I have a kebab or... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Should exactly. we go right and go to Vietnam? It's quite yeah. good. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, have you been homesick at all? Has, uh, has this come up? Has it been an issue? Um, I don't think you... Well, Adam, you were in the military before, so you, you've traveled a lot. Um, yeah, Lucia so, has moved with you a few times. Yeah. So we, we have different thoughts on this. I'm a lot more used to being away. Like you mentioned, I was in the, the British Army, did that for eight years. And Lucia, though, lived with me overseas for uh, three of those years. So we both are fairly used to living away from our family uh, for extended period of times, but... I get a bit more homesick than Adam personally for whatever reason. It's just part of who I am. I feel quite connected to home still, even despite being so far away and I miss my family. And especially when things are happening at home that are quite monumental. So for example, my best friend had a baby and when we were in Thailand at the time she gave birth, it really affected me in a really strange way because... It's, it sounds it's hard to describe, but I felt incredibly happy for her, but then also selfishly upset that I wasn't there to be a support for her and to celebrate with her at the time. So yeah, so it's difficult. I mean, I don't feel homesick every day. I enjoy living in the moment and it's so exciting cycling to new places and experiencing different cultures. And I am absolutely loving cycle touring, which is something that I never thought I would say if you asked me a few years ago. But yeah, I do feel homesick from time to time. So now that we have been cycling for coming up to seven months now, I have decided to head home for a couple of weeks. I'm flying from Bangkok back to London and traveling up to Yorkshire where my family live just for three weeks, see family, have a rest, sleep in a bed and not in the tent. Or a sofa. (laughs) Yeah, for a couple of weeks and then come back ready, refreshed and ready to tackle South Korea and Japan, the next leg of our tour. So that's what I've decided to do. I don't think it like messes up the cycle tour or anything because it's just a nice chance to have a rest and I think it's a good segue into the next part of your trip because exactly. it's the end of Southeast Asia you come back and next thing you know you're in South Korea and that's yeah. it's vastly different than what you've experienced so far so. exactly ready for the next section so I've decided to stay in Southeast Asia whilst Lucia goes back but uh, mainly we have different wants and needs at the moment and I'm personally looking forward to spending three weeks of cycling by myself without you yeah which should be completely different and after cycling together for six seven months uh i'm now yeah going to bangkok from cambodia from phnom penh will be yeah be interesting to, to experience that and i think that is what i'm looking for for my almost rest before south korea is that time it's good to spend a bit of time sometimes after spending so long together just a little bit time apart and then We'll be like really eager to go for the next bit. Yeah, it makes you much more appreciative of when the other ones are around because maybe every day, 24-7 together. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. pretty tough. Well, it's yeah. great. I'm sure there's times where you're like, oh, just to have a couple of days or... I don't Absolutely. know how you do it, to be honest. What, spend 24-7 with you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think as well it's going to be nice when we do come back and are reunited after our three weeks apart I have my birthday in Bangkok and then we fly to South Korea. So that in itself is really exciting. And I think that we'll, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder and all of that. (laughs) I think it's in life, you realize that if you can do what you want to do, you're like almost winning at life. If you can choose to go home, if you realize that you don't have to do things because of society's pressures or because what other people think or what social media would want you to think or if you can if you think I'd like to go home for a few weeks that's great and that's how we I hope like trying to live our lives is just being very intentional about what we do so if we want to go home or if I want to cycle we'll do that and then we'll just continue and yes it it, it will uh, add to a bit of challenge being away for from each other for three weeks but I think it'll be a good thing yeah I do as well Maybe it's a good uh, good warm up for next January or mm, according yeah, to exactly. however your plans might change by then. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so really the, the main thing I want to talk about today are all the events that led up to your guys' decision to do this multi-year bike tour. I want to look at and understand how this came about and to hear about your thoughts and the discussions, feelings, emotions, etc., which um, came up at home uh, up to the point where you landed in Singapore. I think that the stories of the multi-year tourists are really something that interests a lot of people out there. And it resonates with a, a level of, I think, de-evolution, bringing things back to the natural state. Everybody just takes planes, trains, cars, they backpack, jump on a bus, a tuk-tuk. And you guys aren't really doing that for the most part, aside from your upcoming trip to Bangkok. Mm-hmm. Everything's been by bike, with the exception of after the accident. So I think it really is going completely alone like that is something special. There have always been those among us that kind of go against this grain of what society expects. And I think that bike tourists really are those people. Yeah, since I really love biking and traveling and the concept of touring is really, really something that I love. I've done a lot of short trips, but never the long one. I think pulling that plug and just going for it is is really tough. And I imagine that everybody else out there feels quite the same way, aside from the cyclists who've already done it. Maybe through this conversation, I'll be able to, you'll change my mind or give me the motivation to go for it. So let's get on to the, the meat and potatoes. What happened in your guys' life for you to decide to do this tour? How did it come about? So it's quite a long story, but we've got loads of time, so let's go for it. So it started really... Uh, 2014. So 2014, I went on my very first bike tour. Lucia had, uh, and I had been married for a year by this yeah. point, and we lived in Cyprus. I'd just been to Afghanistan with the British Army, and whilst I was there, I read a book by a guy called Alistair Humphreys, who's a very well-known adventure guy in the British adventure world, who he cycled around the world for, I think it was four years, and he's got a book which I read whilst I was at the time stuck in a huge military base in Helmand province and reading about a guy cycling through uh, South America, cycling through Africa, him going through Siberia in the winter. Amazing. I'm like, oh, I really need to do something, I think, on my terms and uh, something that would give me more adventure and excitement in life, more than going to a war zone would. Uh, so at the time, I finished that. I bought a bicycle. As soon as I came back from Afghanistan to the UK, I bought a bicycle, second-hand road bike. Or it was a, like an aluminium frame bike. I got a rucksack and went on a cycle tour for 10 days through France, Luxembourg, and uh, Belgium with a good friend of mine. And as a result of that, I was hooked and... Lucia had then seen me become hooked for a number of years. I, I went on smaller trips, no longer than uh, two weeks. So I cycled around the coast of Cyprus for five, six days. I cycled through Northern Ireland for a little bit. Uh, so all these little trips just like kind of fed my desire. Mm-hmm. And I was adamant I wanted to cycle around the world. It was just something I had been talking to, like Lucia at this point, we I'm talking now maybe a year ago. So fast forward from 2014 to 2017, 18. And I've been in the military for eight years. And I'm at that point coming up to 30 years old. And I was looking at the next stage of my life. And I kind of felt like this was in a, a part where we're looking at having a family in the future and settling down. And at the time we were saving money to buy a house. And that all these external pressures that were almost coming in were like, I'm going to lose this opportunity to ever go on a bike tour around the world unless we do something big. And if Lucia would hopefully be on board with it. And we were on holiday in Iceland of all places. And at that time, I decided to leave the army. I'd made my decision, but I decided to leave. It's a tough decision to make, I think. Yeah, so there's a lot of security that that a a government job like that would provide. And and I enjoyed the job. I enjoyed really the adventurous and the leading soldiers and being able to have a really good community of people to work with. So leaving that was a hard decision, but it was to do something which I didn't know at the time. It was to do something big and epic, was that in my mind. And... Uh, me and Lucia was in Iceland and Lucia was talking about how in the future she would like to one day if we had children take them abroad for a year and uh, homeschool them maybe because Lucia is a teacher 
And Rue's like, well, I said to Lucia, you, if you're not willing to travel now, what makes you think you'll do it once you've got children and a house and a family? Like, it's, we, we should do something now. So you were like, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. So originally when you first told me that you wanted to cycle around the world a couple of years before this time in Iceland, I was under the, um, I, I, it wasn't something for me personally no. i was like okay see you later then like <laughs> had you biked much in the past no not at all i mean i had a bike when i was a child and you know used to cycle around with my friends to the shop or the park or whatever but nothing i wasn't into cycling at all so when adam first broached the subject of wanting to cycle around the world that was not something on my radar at all like it didn't appeal to me whatsoever I was much more like growing up much more into singing dancing acting always trying to like be the center of attention on stage and went to music college and I didn't do anything sporty I wasn't physically uh so you're like all right see you Adam yeah exactly so then as Adam said like a few years later we were in Iceland and and I said about going traveling with our children hopefully in the future and homeschooling them And I just suddenly, something just suddenly clicked in my head. And I just thought, I don't have to follow the grain, like follow what everybody else is doing. If we want to go traveling for a bit of time and take a bit of time out of our normal jobs and our normal life, then then why not? And it, it's just an exciting thing to do. So initially, when we first thought about going abroad and doing some traveling after Adam left the army, first we talked about going backpacking, didn't we, for a couple of months in Southeast Asia? Something we Asia. never really done. That was going to be my question is, um, why didn't you just say, let's go backpacking in yeah, Southeast Asia? So that was our first idea. We've both never been to, never been to Southeast Asia. And it's, we've both never really backpacked. I, I, the longest I had ever traveled was like five, six weeks when I was 20, 21. Okay. But uh, in Europe, and Lucia never had. No, I'd only been on your stereotypical week holiday to Spain or wherever. And then just gradually, I don't remember a specific time when we changed from backpacking to cycle touring, but just gradually and organically over time, we suddenly said, I think obviously it was you. I slowly introduced the idea. Yeah, you were like, <laughs> Let well, that seed grow. Yeah, instead of going backpacking for three months around Southeast Asia, why don't we travel by bicycle? And I was like, okay. Conveniently <laughs> leaving little books around the living room or whispering yeah. in here at night, bicycling. Yeah. <laughs> so I, think, I think it helped that you'd seen me do it for years and slowly yeah. like gr- grow and see the enjoyment I get from it. And I was making little videos for it. And I think you at times would maybe see that and think, oh, it doesn't look too hard. Yeah, I can see how happy it made you. And I watched the videos that you made and that made me happy, you know, to see that the way of traveling really started to appeal to me more and more. And then just over time, bit by bit, we were like, oh, instead of three months going touring around Southeast Asia, that changed to six months, which changed to a year. Before I knew it, I was telling people, oh, I've quit my job and I'm going cycling for an indeterminable amount of time. So as a teacher in the UK, did you have to actually quit your job or do you just put it on hold? Like you still go back and you have a, you'll have yeah, a position. So because I, I've only actually been a proper teacher in a school for two years, but because I've done my first year of teaching and a second year of teaching, now I can teach. It doesn't matter how long I have okay. out of teaching. I think teaching, Canada gives can, you five years. Uh, okay. That's that's quite a long time. Um, yeah, so I can go back to the UK and get a teaching job, no problem, hopefully, if they will have me uh, now that I've done two years teaching. So that's a really good fallback. You know, it's really good to, to know that wherever we choose to to live in the future, I can I can teach, which is good. That's great, yeah. So you guys decided to go by bike. Now, Seema, uh, my wife, she's seen me do lots of triathlons, duathlons and stuff, and, and got really into the idea of having a bike. We bought her a bike, and then we didn't ride very much. Or when we did, she she just would complain that's too hard. And how did you go about building her? Well, Lucia I did the same up? thing. I bought a bike for Lucia like maybe two, three years ago. And Lucia didn't ride it either. So it sat, it sat pretty much in the garage. And then the more you nag about it, the less it motivates her. Oh, so yeah. it's, it's just got to be a... So I bought you a bike so I could buy myself a bike. That was the justification. Yeah, was. Smart man. Yeah. So I thought, oh, we both have bikes now. We can go traveling together. And you weren't... We didn't help at the time, maybe with my work, that 
I was based in Cyprus and so we're both living in Cyprus, which is very hot and quite that, hilly. Yeah. So Lucia, as a beginner starting somewhere very hot and hilly, uh, is quite difficult. So that didn't help initially. And I think it kind of just got put to one side. So your very first bike trip was only, we did a small one before this. Big okay, one. just so, a test equipment? or yeah. yeah, like a five-day journey in the UK. And uh, yeah, that was your first ever bike trip. Yeah, so we had bought the touring bikes already and all the panniers and everything. And we decided to just go out for five days and do a little tour of Yorkshire. So which 200 is, miles? Yeah, which is the county we're from in the UK. So that was my first experience of a multi-day. Bicycle. That's uh, 360 kilometers for all you, 320 kilometers for all you non-mileage <laughs> yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah, and do a bit of wild camping, which we, that was the big thing for you, is that we knew yeah. if we were to go bike touring in the future, for Lucia, the big fear is I'm going to be made possibly sleeping in the wild because our budget wouldn't afford us to stay in hotels all over the world. So it was, yeah, going to somewhere fairly comfortable in our eyes at Yorkshire. There's no culture shock. We live there and seeing it that in a different eyes by cycle touring and finding a little wood and putting our tent in there and, and sleeping and the aim for me was for you to enjoy it. So it's trying to introduce it slowly with slow distances, like short distances yeah. and just making it fun. That'd be weird though. Cause you're like, Oh, I know a pretty little town up here with a beautiful pub we can go to. Yeah, like, oh, exactly. Instead we're going to cook our... Well, we, we break sometimes. Yeah. We absolutely do. Well, we stayed one of the nights. We camped in your mum's back garden, didn't we? Yeah. Cause my mum lives in West Yorkshire and Adam's mum lives in East Yorkshire. So we cycled across the County and slept in our tent, but in her back garden. So it was, it was, it was really good thing to do. And I would definitely recommend it to anybody thinking about doing a long distance bicycle tour. I would definitely recommend going out, even if it's just for two, three, five days or longer, a shorter tour with the setup that you're thinking about going with to test the equipment and to test yourself. Like cycling with the bike with all the panniers on is so much different to when obviously you're cycling without the weight. Absolutely. And it takes a bit of getting used to. You'll so. always carry too much kit when you start out. And Lucia, you should have seen the amount of like shampoo and conditioner and cosmetics. I'm not even joking. At the start of the tour, Your bag yeah. was huge. I'm, I'm a married man, I can well imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's it's reduced in size by at least half. You've come a long way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to. Just the weight will kill you. And yeah. it's things like clothes because like, with my military background, I knew weight was very important because I was carrying it on my back. So I would usually pack what you need whereas Lucia would be like, oh, I could do with Six pairs of socks and it'd be like, little things. But like, like when we reach Kuala Lumpur, maybe we'll go out for dinner and I should have a nice outfit yeah, to wear. Yeah, I made mistakes yeah. as well. I, I brought a white linen shirt. I Terrible thought that'd idea. be a good idea. That was a bad idea. Just get stains. Yeah. You, you think <laughs> Is it long gone by now? I sent it home before it got stained. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice shirt, that. <laughs> <laughs> From Cuba? No. <laughs> Before continuing on with the show, I'd like to thank Panorama Cycles for sponsoring this podcast. Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chick Chocks Fat Bike, the Catadin Gravel Bike, and the Taiga Mountain Bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way, while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra Fat Bike Race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bikepack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA250 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll get a $250 credit from Quebec-based manufacturer at Water Atelier, so you can put some new bags on that sweet new adventure machine. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to panoramacycles.com. Now back to the show. Did you guys ever consider working abroad as like the way I've been doing it as opposed to just dropping everything and doing a, a bike tour? Well, we lived abroad for three years that's with right. the military. Um, you and worked as a teacher abroad. I worked as a teacher in Cyprus, which I really enjoyed. 
But weirdly, I always thought, no, I don't want to live abroad outside of the military life. I love Britain and I like like to be near my family and friends. And that was something that was really quite, quite strong in my head for a long time. But more recently, I have definitely come around to the idea of living abroad and teaching abroad even if it's just for a couple of years like you don't have to be confined to one country mm-hmm. your whole life and it's important for me to remember that nothing is forever nothing has to be forever so if we wanted to say move to Phnom Penh or, or somewhere else like and and work for a year or two family are home and Britain's not going anywhere we can we can go and live there and so I think time. as a military wife too you become quite resilient to changes and you can adapt quite well yeah you get used to moving around a lot <laughs> I grew up in a military family so it was mm. for me moving around I've never hate to say it, I've never really felt the homesickness yeah aside from when I'm sick mm. and then you're like oh I wish my mom was here to make some chicken noodle soup or hungover yeah or hungover <laughs> yeah. they usually go hand in hand Before continuing on with the podcast, I just want to thank some of the Bike Tour Adventures sponsors. Bike Tour Adventures is proudly sponsored by Redshift Sports. Founded in 2013 by a team of mechanical engineers who happen to be avid cyclists, they've been focused on creating components that make a meaningful difference to the riding experience, such as the switch aero system, the shock stop suspension system, and the kitchen sink handlebar system. I've been using the dual position seat posts paired with the shock stop stem since 2020 and have nothing but great things to say about their products. Use the checkout code BTA15 on their website to save 15%. Beginning in 2010 with environmental sustainability as a main focal point, Restrap has been in the bag making business for quite some time. Having used a race bag since 2021, I find their holster system and magnetic buckles to be extremely effective and truly unique. Use the checkout code BTAPOD10 to save 10% at checkout. Lastly, named after the animal that roams the Tibetan plateau, Chiru Endurance Bikes was started by Pierre Arnaud Le Magnin in 2009. After noticing the lack of endurance bikes on the market, Pierre used his expertise, know-how, and racing experience to create high-end carbon fiber and titanium bikes for the discerning rider and racer. Thanks, and back to the podcast. Yeah, so that's when you need to have a good girlfriend. When we initially decided, it was like, definitely we want to go on a big bike trip. So it wasn't let's go and work abroad in our heads. But the more we spend time overseas and see other people's ways of life, like yourself, and we see other people that are either expats or locals living in countries, I keep an open mind to, would I, can I see myself living in this city or this place? What's the culture like? What's the society like? Uh, what's, yeah, what's the environment going to be if I was to live there? And I think just deciding I'm going to live in the UK simply because I was born there I'm, I think, more open-minded to thinking there might be somewhere I might enjoy life more. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we're in the future. Or just quality of life, the money I can make. Yeah, and so that's one of the big reasons we started in Southeast Asia, because a lot of people might think, well, why didn't you just start in the UK? It'd be cheaper. Our flights to Singapore from the UK in pounds, I think we paid 600 pounds between us, so 300 pounds each. That's pretty, pretty um, good. Yeah, that's including the bike and all the luggage. So we booked that about six, seven months beforehand with Norwegian Airlines, budget airline, and fairly cheap but good. And it was a direct flight with no connections as well. And those budget airlines, though, it's like pretty tight seating. It was okay. Was food included on such a long yeah, flight? Yeah, it wasn't yeah. too bad, okay. actually, I think, because it was a long-haul flight. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't too bad. So the £500 we spent there is like the outlay. But I think one of the big things that, made it so cheaper is you're in Malaysia to start with or Singapore, Malaysia and then Thailand and these are uh, if you want to stay in a hotel you're paying between 5 and 10 pounds British equivalent uh, for, a, for a hotel room so it's a lot cheaper for a beginner like Lucia the roads are flat if you want what does a normal hotel cost in the UK or not I in guess UK is oh, very because London but not counting London in the UK even in, yeah. in the UK yeah, where are you from about mm. 50 pounds so yeah in Europe Western Europe so France as well you're paying probably about 50 pounds for okay. a budget hotel room yeah so, I think Canada is yeah. probably a 50 to 70 dollars yeah. so yeah. Canadian so yeah. so then these so that I made the decision with Lucia as well that for the first month or two we were going to pretty much more or less stay to hotels the whole time because I thought it'd be a good way for Lucia to 
grow into the journey rather than being in 100% humidity, really hot yeah, temperatures hot. in yeah, in Malaysia, as you'll know. But you're you fortunate. Going through Malaysia, you stuck to the coast, so you avoided a lot of the mountains. Yes, yeah, so that was yeah. intentional as right. well. Yeah. Our first mountains was crossing into Thailand. We went on the most western border. Through Perlis. Yes, right? yeah. yes. And then to Satun in Thailand, and then we hooked the coast, and then we crossed some more mountains to get over to the east coast. To we went through one of the national parks in the middle. Which North Thani, is, is it? That you went over towards? Is that on the coast? Yeah, east coast. Yeah. We're close to Copenhagen. Close yeah. Like that. yeah. And then, so by that point, you've been cycling for over a month. And then we started... Suratani, not North Thani. That's yeah. It, yeah. And then by this point, we started looking at camping. Because this is, we knew for the future, we would have to camp a lot to keep our budget down. And uh, in Thailand, you're really lucky that there's... Uh, often temples and Buddhist temples that will, if you're a, a guest and you turn up at 4 or 5 p.m., they will usually, if you ask nicely, let you s- sleep and let you camp in the temple for free uh, for a small donation. Uh, the police stations, they allow you to camp. We never, like stay at the cop station? We, yeah. never got, we never got turned up. We slept at two or three police stations mm-hmm. in our time in Thailand. So yeah, camping in Thailand got more comfortable as we went on. Uh, so that slowly kind of builds you into the journey, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Because setting off on the cycle tour uh, in general was a really big deal and, and was something that I wasn't naturally, not good at, but, you know, used to. So building it up gradually in terms of camping, it really helped me keep motivated. How have you guys planned what to pack and stuff from pre-buying before you leave? You know, how did you figure out what you're going to need? We did some research online. I think I personally looked at other people's bicycle touring blogs and their kit lists because I find that helpful for me personally. Um, so I looked at that and you already had an idea from... I think there's a big the focus on people before they do a trip on kit and equipment, an over-focus. I think that for your first trip, like for my first trip, it was to take a rucksack and cycle. And then I quickly realized, oh, with a, with a, I used a seat post rack that broke. And I realized- Your mate's broke, right? My mate's broke yeah. and mine later broke out. Oh, did it? Okay. Yeah, so I um, quickly realized you need a good rack. Like that was, it's like, if there's a priority of things I would want to get is a strong rack. And the old needs and desires quickly change. Now that learning curve can be increased by reading a lot, but a lot of people will recommend very expensive equipment. So in China, my rim on my wheel broke. So it's done like 6,000 kilometers on bumpy terrain. It probably shouldn't have broke, but it did. And I got it fixed and somebody on the internet was like, I'm surprised you don't have a roll-off hub. And I'm like... Well, a roll off would cost me like fifteen hundred pounds, yeah, yeah, two thousand dollars or something. And I'm like, well, for two thousand dollars, I could like that's enough budget for three or four months on the road. So like, often you can get obsessed with kit and equipment, whereas really, if you have a bike that fits you, that's the most important thing. That's my biggest bit of advice: a bike that fits and a good rack. Good. Seat. If you're gonna, yeah. So if you don't want to carry your equipment on your body, have it on the bike. And most people have all the panniers, but the other panniers do the same job. Uh, to a what point. are you guys using? We're using all leap. Shout out to all leap. Yeah, but they're okay. They do the job, and I think yeah, just not it's not taking too much. It's I had that thought with my wife's bike. If we ever go on a, a cycle tour, rather than put on the or, the rack and all leap panniers, is to buy her the the seat bags and stuff. That mm. way. I can also use them when I go mountain bike traveling. Yeah. So kind of yeah. get the two in one. Since we already have a full set of panniers, she can use those. I can use the, the seat mounted stuff. Yeah, it's a good good to have these different ideas. There's no one way. Like the yeah. old conventional, like we're, we're traveling, if you look at our bikes, like you'd imagine a conventional cycle tourist with front and rear panniers, a handlebar bag, and we've recently got a small little duffel bag that goes on the top of mm-hmm. our rear rack. Uh, and there's obviously mount, uh, bike packing is becoming very popular and I think a bit of it is a bit of just because it looks cool it sounds cool it looks yeah, cool and you get to go off road but for Lucia like 
what's your enjoyment of uh, off-road? I'm not a fan of the off-road, <laughs> I must admit. <laughs> After being in Cambodia for five, six days, Lucia's like, I hate these rumbly roads. Yeah. I, gave, I gave them a route from Kampong Cham to Phnom Penh and they seem to have taken a slightly different route and had yeah. gravel, rough, rocky roads the whole way as opposed yeah. to the tarmac I had intended for them to use. Yeah, so, exactly. Quite and, unfortunate. And, but, I mean, that, per- that route that we did take led us through some beautiful rural Cambodian villages which and that's what I love most about cycle touring is seeing the local communities just getting on with their everyday life but a bikepacking setup wouldn't be ideal for you no based on the fact that you probably don't like going off road no and and the thing is that I think is really important on a bicycle tour and in life in general is just to be honest about what you enjoy, what you don't enjoy and communicate that is really important if you're cycling with somebody else, whether it's your partner or a friend, because if you just go along with it and if I just went along with it and said, yeah, sure, let's go on this off-road route for Let's get bike, thousands of bike packing bikes instead. Yeah. And- when really deep down that's not for me and I don't really enjoy it as much then it's going to cause much bigger problems down the line so I've learned that I need to just be honest and say I don't really enjoy difficult off-road routes that's not really for me and then we can fix where we want to go according to both of our preferences. No Mongolia for you anytime soon. You're not, still, you're still young, so you have that chance to be a, a like a cross-country mountain bike yeah, pro. We've still, it's not we've over still yet. got time. <laughs> yeah. How were the conversations when you started talking about the trip and it's planning? It's developed, hasn't it? Yeah. I think you, didn't, you were more open to like, yeah, we'll do this. So initially the plan was Singapore to the UK through the, the stands. And I think that was a big part of why we changed the route was at that time... Lucia was looking less like she'd enjoy going through the stands with the off-road section. Yeah, you had a lot of rough roads there. Mm. And the thought, at the time we have enough money and a budget to go to somewhere with really good infrastructure like South Korea and Japan or even Alaska and Canada... Which will well, definitely Canada, but I don't know. Yeah, which will definitely provide. Yeah. <laughs> Chris is Canadian, if you didn't know. <laughs> which will provide uh, the remote sections that I'm looking for, especially when we're going through areas of Canada, for sure. And uh, But it will also mean that there's going to be more infrastructure for, mm. for so it's kind of meeting the middle between us yeah both. and i think at first before we started the trip because everything was so new and so unusual for me because i've never done anything like this before and maybe i was in a little bit of a headspace where i was just saying yes to things because it right, was exciting it's all un- unknown to you unknown, anyways right? like i'm like yeah sure let's go through the stands like that sounds amazing yeah. but then as you go through different countries and keep cycling over the weeks and months I think gradually I realized what type of bicycle touring is suited to me and what I enjoy and that's why our routes change and we're flexible it'd be like Adam saying do you want like 700 C tires or do you want 26 inches and you'd be like yes either I'll take whatever you recommend at this point in time thinking about where you came from from before we started this, you cycled, toured for five days. Mm. And sh- sure, there's absolutely people out there that have started at zero and cycled through Central Asia and onwards. But for you to have gone from zero and to have so far cycled 5,000 miles, is really like, yeah, you're learning still. And where you are now compared to then is such a huge difference. Yeah, and it, because of the videos, it's really good to look back on your very first days and seeing that you did 50 kilometers and were... You nearly passed out from exhaustion. Good, yeah. And now, on the way into... You guys pa- nailed 110 yeah, or something. You, you can do 100k and you're okay and not a, not a problem. On it's rough roads. Snacks. Yeah. snacks are just <laughs> underrated. You've got to have good snacks. Number one, snacks. Sugarcane juice is sugar a good one. Sugarcane juice is good. Like, it's not really a snack. Um, Southeast Asian sugarcane juice is pretty yeah. Yes. Spot on. Thailand, 7-Eleven, banana chocolate we're, chip muffins. We're huge on fruit at the moment. Yeah. yeah. We've actually been really healthily. healthily. Uh, we've been really healthy over the past few weeks, like through Cambodia and Laos, just because the fruit's so cheap. Dragon fruit. Dragon fruit, it's bananas, awesome, isn't All it? these Mangoes, steamed buns. Steamed we had some nice steamed buns this morning. Oh, well, at least buns. I did, yeah. So yeah, steamed bun <laughs> with a good like egg and meat in the middle. They're the best yeah. ones. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that. Chasupal, I think. In so Malaysia. I reckon we could do a podcast just about food. <laughs> I think we can do this later in the week, maybe. That's one of my main motivations to bicycle tour, just so you can eat as much as you want. You're like at the GPS and you're like 25 kilometers to the next rest stop. Exactly. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. 
any other advice you'd give for for people thinking of doing a trip or for somebody needing to convince their spouse to do a trip? <laughs> Yeah, what advice would you give? Yeah, I think it's 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 just if you if you're set and you really want to do it, and usually the biggest excuses people give will be I don't have enough money, I don't have the time, or I'm worried about my career or friends and family and what they'll think about doing. All right, let's hit those one by one then. Cool. So money. Mo- so money. You for us, our answer to that was having a job, and we saved up money for like two three years. So. We were saving initially, to, like I said, to buy a house. And we decided to spend that money on this tour. Really poor financial decision, but we're investing in our life well, instead. With this whole Brexit thing, if you had <laughs> bought a house, it might not be worth anything Possibly, after. Exactly. Yeah. yeah but, um, so yeah, if you want to do a tour, no matter how big or small, it's realizing what type of touring you want to do and the budget that will support that. There's absolutely people out there that have toured around the world for, say, three years on £3,000. And for us, we had our budget and that's our, that's fixed for us now. So it's, for the people, it's just save up money. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, keeping, so the, the the biggest tips is reduce your outgoings and don't do anything else. You've got to be a bit boring for two years and not go anywhere. And you, Not go anywhere. Yeah. Thousands of kilometers, but not go anywhere, I guess, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And what else did you got to you got to prioritize where you're going. Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. So it's it, but it's making it a priority. Whatever you want to do, um, if that big is a big tour, make that the priority. Have that as the aim. Uh, and would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's say somebody wanting to go on a tour, and they need to save money. We're talking saving five thousand, six thousand pounds a year in the few years before you go. How do they manage that? That's a, that's a lot of money for, I think, a lot of people out there. Yeah. It, but maybe well, just spending decisions really what it comes it's down so to. It's so individual and it all depends. And we're not, the world's a big place and different earnings for different countries. I know in the US you get a lot less vacation time, for example, compared to what we would get in the UK. So what I did for years was in my vacation time, which was pretty healthy, it was like 38 days a year. Oh, nice. Um, I would, and there's a Lucia as a teacher. And my brother's in the military, he gets 25. Yeah, so. well, Lucia and the yeah. teacher would, as a teacher, would get six weeks in 70 the summer. 70 something, mm-hmm. yeah. So we would try to do a tour. I would try to do a tour in that time off. Um, so that would be my first advice is don't quit your job. Don't do what we did. Is just try and do it between your work and if in the future you want to go big and be responsible like us and quit your job, that's for you to decide and it's not for us to recommend to people. I think too, like if you're not already a homeowner and you're planning a big tour, let's say three years from now, a lot of people live outside of their means. Downsize the house you live in. Maybe get a smaller flat closer to where one of you is working. You don't necessarily need to have two cars. I mean, it's, mm. it's convenient. So we sold our car to do yeah. this. So we had a brand new car and sold that and that... Yeah, we've made a load of money from that, as in reduced a lot of our outgoings. We didn't have Netflix. How long before did you leave? Uh, you left? Did you sell it? A year. About a year yeah. before. Yeah, and we just year. got really we like, bought cheap. A, a, yeah, a cheap car hand. and no Netflix, no um, Spotify and things like that for us. Try and reduce any outgoings you've yeah. got. Then people often talk about how much coffee people are drinking a day. I make all my own coffee. I very rarely mm, buy coffees at school it. as a it's, teacher. Like, it's yeah. daily decisions. And the best thing you can do, I'm not a financial expert for any means, but the best thing you can do is to just keep a budget and actually account for what you spend and what you earn. And you basically just have to earn more than you spend. And it's spend less solid accounting earn. advice from Adam. I love it. <laughs> Save more than you spend. Yeah. Well, the journey doesn't have to be expensive. This is the thing. So, for example, I once did a cycle tour. So I already had the bicycle and the equipment. And my aim was to spend no money on this bike tour. And that's oh, wrong. To, uh, to spend none of my own personal money. Only money I could spend would be money I made as by busking. So I took in the UK. And nice. the street performance is in Northern Ireland as well. So street performance in the UK and Northern Ireland is quite popular in most town centres. And there's usually no laws about against performing there. And there's usually a lot of street performers. So I would take my ukulele, and I'm terrible, by the way. Yeah, so, no, no Ed Sheeran or yeah, something like I'm, that. I'm horrendous. Okay. And I had 10 songs I could play, played them. And one day I made like two pounds, three pounds. And that would, I would then go to a shop and buy a tin of tuna and a bag of pasta. And that's me good to go for the, that day. And the next few days I was camping. So there's no accommodation costs. 
So people think you need to spend lots of money to have a big grand adventure. If you're a bit creative about what you want to do, you can spend very little and have a really good adventure. And this is Ireland, so the water's clean. You didn't have to worry about buying water. Well, yeah, water. and in our experience, we haven't paid for water for a long time. It's just having a water filter and being able to... And a good one, I think. Yeah, it, it, we, we've got a Soya Mini water filter, which works really well. And um, yeah, just, just asking in the UK and Europe, tap water's drinkable, so... Most uh, bars and pubs or cafes will just give you free water. So, this, yeah, if you can do it for quite cheap. Yeah, Japan too. Free water everywhere. That's but awesome. you're allowed to fill up your water. They're not going to tell Singapore you no. As well. That's really good. And Singapore toilets too. You never have to pay in Japan for That's toilets. That's really good. Yeah. That's good to know for the future. It is. So, no more having to poop in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> so, you said money and then you said work or job, right? Mm. So, whether you quit your job or... Yeah, I think it's very, again, very individual. So people worry about career and work. But for me, it's prioritizing what's important for you. So I've prioritized this journey as a, as a life experience for me over getting a promotion or earning more money. And that's, I believe that's more valuable for me as an individual. Uh, I don't know what you think. Yeah, I agree. So it's all depends on you personally, doesn't it? As mm. each person is different. But I really enjoy my job and I really enjoy teaching, which is not something you usually hear people say, um, especially in the UK. Not towards the end of the school year. Yeah, exactly. Um, I haven't taught for like six, seven months, so maybe that's why I'm saying this. But um, yeah, I, I enjoy the job I do. And it's something that I do think I'll go back to once we finish this bicycle tour. So it's the having the balance for me and actually having a job that can give me flexibility. One option that I thought of is possibly going back to teach as a supply teacher. Yep. So that gives me a bit more flexibility in terms of having time off outside of school holidays and things like that to go on little adventures, big adventures as the years go by. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know a lot of Canadian teachers have gone to the UK to work and mm. there's always abilities to work as part-time or full-time. Yeah, so. yeah. I feel like by leaving my job, I'm no less experienced and no less qualified than I was the moment I left. So if I go back to the UK, I still have all the experiences, I still have all my knowledge and skills, but what I've gained is so much more like... Just by cycle touring, understanding other cultures, facing adversity, being committed to a project and seeing it through, and managing relationships in the case of cycling with become a counselor. Yeah, like for both of us, we're, you're managing each other's um, emotions and thoughts and feelings and the skills I've learned. And I think I'm becoming a lot more. Um, I think patient uh, is something which before I I would be probably not very patient with with people that would struggle with something I would find easy. I'm like that too, yeah. Yeah, but um, this, we, you can't survive on a bike tour with somebody else if you're like that. So it teaches you so much. And I think it's understanding that actually going on a bike tour can increase your employability. It can give you other experiences and it might make you think in a different way that you might want to do something else other than what you did before. So... I was, like I said, in the military. I'm not going to go back to do that. So I'm going to try and do and have a new career. Mercenary <laughs> on a bicycle. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, at the moment, my aim is hopefully to make to make videos. And I've, it's something I really enjoy. And it's something I've been doing as, as a part of this journey. Yeah, let's just throw that out there again. If you have not heard of Cycling 2, check out their YouTube videos. They're really, really good. Like they, He has a lot of equipment. So we'll talk about that in a minute, I think. Um, but he does have a fair bit of equipment, makes some great videos. It really gives you a touch and taste of what it's like in that country. And also really captures the emotion of the trip. There's been a few breakdowns, upsettings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's um, an emotional roller coaster. Even, <laughs> even to bring us back to the, the start of the trip, I remember one of your first videos, uh, you were doing a sound test. Yeah. And uh, Lucia did not realize you were still recording. Well, the, yeah, it's the very, very first video of this journey. And it's, it's when we basically leave the UK and land in oh, Singapore yeah. and I had just bought a new microphone so I wanted to test the microphone and <laughs> um, so I was testing the microphone so I was just asking Lucia questions to get her to talk so I could test the microphone audio 
And I was like, how do you feel about going on this journey? And this was like five days before we flew. And Lucia, just because she didn't feel she was being filmed, kind of opened up about how she felt. And uh, yeah, so I used that as kind of like the audio sound drop before us then getting, packing our bags, Lucia saying goodbye to her mother, and then us getting the train and getting on the plane and landing, and then the excitement of being in a new country. And And Singapore is an amazing country to to land in, especially if you still have lots of budget. Yeah. Yeah, if we were lucky at the time, the hostel no longer is open, but there was a cycle touring hostel there called Tree and Lodge. It only mm. closed a few weeks ago, I think. Uh, I think the guy that owns it's gone on a bike tour. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, we stayed there. It was half, 50% off for cycle tourists. And they have hawker markets in Singapore, which are... They're the best. Yeah, they just mm. sell cheap food and it's what the locals eat. And you're eating like Indian food or Chinese food or Malay food. It's good. Yeah, I always like that. Okay, living in Malaysia seven years, um, the hawker food stalls in Malaysia, Singapore, some of the best in the world. In general, the cleanliness standards are really high. Never ever worried about food poisoning or something like that. There's big queues at places, and you're paying like a dollar for a full meal, and yeah, it's good food. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. Um, What about the family aspect? How did you overcome the the challenges of leaving your family, or how did your family react, and what was their thought process and yours for me my family were almost all very supportive of the trip and I mean I have two older brothers and they both live abroad and have traveled extensively so when I said about my plan and what we were doing at first I think they were quite shocked because as the youngest and as the female in my sibling group I think I have always been like the home bird even though I lived in Cyprus for three years I've still you know been connected to home and lived at home or in my home country for most of my life so when I said we were going to do this trip most people were shocked but very supportive especially because it was something so unusual really um nobody in my family has ever done anything like this before I did have one family member who who wasn't as supportive as the others and their initial reaction was well you're not a cyclist how are you gonna do this like you're a girly girl and you girly girl yeah and I I am or what I I don't know I don't like to put a label on it but you know I've never not like I said I was into singing and dancing and acting I wasn't into sports so he was like oh that's that's not something that you know you is you and that just inspired me even more to succeed and to enjoy it and show people that girly girls can cycle tour too and put themselves in situations that they find difficult and that challenge them and it's only when we challenge ourselves that we grow as individuals which is something I've learned throughout our tour so yeah it was it was a mixed bag but on a whole it was positive so that was really supportive for me Anything on your side there, Adam? Not really. My family are very much used to me doing crazy things. And they just, they say, oh, Adam's going off again. And yep. yes, but my family in general don't really travel very much. So I'm like the anomaly. So I think they found it hard to relate to me living overseas with the military and then doing this. They just, uh, I think in general, just think it's crazy. But they, they do send me lovely messages uh, and they do like watching the videos. I know they love watching the videos that I make. Just be, and that's one of my main motivations for making them, is you talk about the homesickness and almost feeling like you're away from people and you're not knowing what's going on in their life, but at least they know what's going on in our life if they want to. So they will, when a new video comes out, they'll tell me they've watched this video and they get to, they're like, we feel like we're with you almost is what they say so I think that's really helped me uh, and it's that's uh, yeah that's one of the the big reasons I've made these videos that's awesome I've, I've made a few videos of trips I've taken with my wife and stuff and it's a lot of work it's hard and I see your videos and I see how much you capture like you you know when to talk to the camera and when to say things and well there's a lot of stuff I'm editing out there's so mm-hmm. much of me just talking rubbish is it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so yeah I guess it's good they're quality videos so anyways, I don't know if I have any more questions for you guys. I think what we can get from this is that anybody can really do it. It's just you don't have to have a $20,000 a year budget. You don't have to have a $10,000 a year budget. You you guys met recently a couple that have spent 10 months and only spent $2,000 or pounds yeah. or something, mm-hmm. euros maybe. 
and had a good time as well. So often people think you need to spend a lot of money to have a great time, which isn't true. Like it just depends on your what you want out of a tour and what what you want as an experience. They went through Central Asia, which meant they were hosted a lot of the time by super friendly people and they camped a lot of the time. And I think depending on where you go will depend on how much money you spend yeah. and, and your own personal uh, your tastes. Yeah, I think it comes down to is how often do you want to eat in nice restaurants or do you want to do you really need to do that hot air balloon ride over Bayan in Myanmar yeah. mm. or bungee jumping? You either you either yeah, you either spend a lot and travel for a short time or you spend little and you can travel for a long time and you make that decision and Go for it, whichever one works for you. I think that's yeah, a it's a really good way to end the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Thank you. Cheers, Chris. I'd like to end the show by thanking all the listeners out there. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Adam Lucia. And if a multi-year cycling trip around the world is something you've dreamed or thought about, just know that it's not too late and it's definitely doable. By following the experiences that Adam and Lucia shared with you today, you never know. You might be one step closer to going on your own adventure. Adam and Lucia, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for sharing your journey with us. And thank you for giving everyone all the wonderful advice and heads up for what they can expect when planning a big trip. If you are interested in following Adam's adventures, you can follow him on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Adam Hugel Cycling the World. Adam has been making around a video per week since the trip began, and his videos can give you real insight into what you can expect whilst traveling abroad. You can also follow Lucia on Instagram at luciahugel23. Thanks, and see you later. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling. <laughs>